All right, well, this morning we're going to be talking about interruptions. We're going to be talking about lost causes. We're going to be talking about 12-year hemorrhages and 12-year-old girls. We're going to be going to see that Jesus' healing is not just a physical healing, but it's also a relational one. And so I pray that we'll find our role in the story that Jesus is writing for us today. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as your scriptures are read, as your word is proclaimed, that we might hear with joy what it is that you say to us today. Amen. So I remember this day very, very well. It was my very first day. I was a lot younger. Um, I was starting out at Brentwood Presbyterian Church. I was moving all these boxes of books into this new office. Um, it was pretty exciting. And this, this woman, Melinda Smith, she had the office right next to me. She comes in to say hello. So I'm never going to forget how this conversation went. It's always stood out to me. She introduces herself. She welcomes me as the new person into this environment. Um, and then just really abruptly, she said something like, like, this church is really different. I just want you to know that. This is the way it works around here. She's like, if someone has a problem and needs help, everyone stops what they're doing and they go and help that person with whatever it is. And then she just turns around and walks out of my office. And I was like, literally, I was just left there scratching my head going like, like, what was this all about? Like, yeah, I get it. I guess these people are helpful. You know, like, that's what I'm thinking. Okay, they care about each other, whatever. And then a little while later, um, this lesson was clarified even more. I was meeting with the pastor of the church, who was an early mentor of mine, Charles Shields, in his office. Um, we used to do this every couple of weeks or so. And it was Pastor Charles, of course, who's the one that's responsible for being the person that kind of created this culture of support and care in this church. And so this guy could be really, really direct, like scary direct, all right? And so I used to almost like fear and trembling sit at this guy with the side of his office um, because he used to like to school me and stuff that I, I didn't know, you know? It's like this is one of his main jobs. Um, and so one day um, he actually was talking to me and I said, you know... I'm having a really hard time getting this one thing done, something that he had asked me to get done, and I hadn't gotten it done, which is really unlike me. Um, but I made an excuse. I still remember what I said. I was like, you know what? There's just too many interruptions in the office. I just I can't get this thing done. So he's not amused, right? And was pretty unhappy with my response. He actually looked me in the eye, and he said, Rob, the ministry is the interruptions. Never forgotten it. He says, don't forget that. The ministry is the interruptions. And so that actually, that little statement actually changed the way that for the last 20 years I've thought about my work. I think about that statement all the time. And so it fits really well today because we're about to read this story from Mark's Gospel that contains um, a couple of interruptions actually, but one really significant one. And so when, you, when scholars, you look at this, this is funny to me, it's not going to be funny to anybody else. Uh, but scholars call it a Markin sandwich. Does that sound scholarly to you, a Markin sandwich? Like, that doesn't sound scholarly. But anyway, that's why I said it. it's not funny. Um, the healing of this 12-year-old girl that we're going to see is going to be interrupted by a woman with a 12-year hemorrhage. 12 and 12, it means something. Um, and so you may have guessed it by now, but it's the interruption of the second story that's actually going to provide the key to unlocking the meaning of the original narrative, all right? So here we go. Listen for it. So it's like when I was thinking about this, I'm like in the four years I got to work with Charles Shields before his death, like I used to sit and absorb every word this guy ever said. 
And so I've never forgotten the ministry is the interruptions, right? So as you listen to this, Mark 5, 21 to 43, listen for the interruption and then listen for the ways that it informs the original narrative because it does. And listen for the ways too that it may inform us in our story and what our role might be once we kind of get towards the end of this thing. Here we go. It's a little bit long, so bear with me. When Jesus had crossed again into the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the lake. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians, had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And the disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you? How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, here we go. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. And he strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I was looking at this a little bit, and I saw that some people actually call Mark chapter 5 the St. Jude chapter, right? So St. Jude, Thaddeus, one of the original 12 disciples, St. Jude is the brother of the apostle with the most unfortunate name, St. James the Less. How'd you like to be that guy? <laughs> like, why do they do that to people? Anyway. Um, this guy was known for his preaching the gospel with passion in the most challenging of circumstances, He probably even traveled with Simon Peter preaching in Mesopotamia, Libya, Persia, like this guy got around. But anybody know what St. Jude is the patron saint of? Anybody know this? Do you remember this stuff? Huh? The patron saint of hopeless and lost causes. Right? I think I wrote that down. We'll see. Yeah. 
patron saint of hopeless and lost causes. Um, and so, by definition, here's the definition of a lost cause. A person or a thing that can no longer hope to succeed or be changed for the better. Dismal, right? Mark chapter 5 contains not one, not two, but three of these lost causes. So to set this up, the context of where we are today, Jesus has just returned from across the Sea of Galilee from the Gentile land of the Gerasenes, where he healed this guy with an unclean spirit. And so the man in this, this is one of my favorite texts, and the lectionary skips over it this time, Um, but it's actually one of my favorite things. It's like this guy was too strong to subdue, and he was too crazy to live in human community. And so this poor guy is banished out to live among the dead, and Jesus restores this guy to wholeness and to health. And so what you would think would happen, you would think these people would rejoice. They don't. The people that witness this miracle, they actually drive Jesus out of their neighborhood. So Jesus and his disciples, they get back in their boat, they cross back over the Sea of Galilee, back into Jewish territory where they're greeted by the huge crowd that we're looking at today. Pushing his way through this sea of people is the ruler of the local synagogue, a guy named Jairus, who in desperation tells Jesus about lost cause number two, his own daughter, who is at death's door. Like, I love the image here of Jesus in the midst of this clamoring mass of people. They all want something from him, right? And what does he do? He just stops right in the middle of this mass of people, and he enters into this, the desperation of this one anguished father. Love this image. And what it says to me is it says that every single person, even the hopeless Lost causes are of this inestimable worth to Jesus. He just doesn't see people the way that we do. And so Jesus shows himself to be interruptible. Right off the bat, just throw this out and we'll return to it. How interruptible are you? Think about that as we listen to the rest of this. Jesus goes with this guy and he follows Jairus. Can you just imagine this guy? He's probably grabbing onto Jesus' arm, maybe grabbing onto his clothes, pulling him through this massive crowd of people in a hurry. There's not a second to spare. And what happens? Jesus is forced to spare far more than a precious second as the main interruption of the text occurs. Jairus must have pleaded with Jesus, please don't go. Like, don't go with, don't take the time, don't stop. Like, this woman's life isn't in danger. My daughter is dying. And he's probably begging Jesus, grabbing onto him to go to his house to meet this need of his, that's this crisis that's going on in his life. In the midst of this life and death situation, what does Jesus do? He allows for this interruption to take place. Another lost cause. A woman with this suffering that's been suffering from this 12-year hemorrhage, she's also making her way through this crowd toward Jesus. And Mark describes her condition with an interesting word. The word in English translates as whip or scourge or torment. In other words, this woman had really, really suffered. Not only this physical suffering, but also enduring the shame of this condition that she had had for a long, long time. She'd suffered at the hands of physicians. She'd spent all her money. She's exhausted all her resources. And for what? Nothing. The scripture says she's worse off than ever, and she's down to nothing. 
Now, our healthcare can be considered hit or miss. Think about theirs. Their safety net was the family, okay? Without, uh, without this safety net, people were in serious trouble. Now, because this woman is bleeding, she's ritually unclean, what did that mean? It meant isolation from human community. This is what this Mark is trying to tell us. This woman had suffered in ways that to me, I just think they're unimaginable, right? She's considered this castaway, this untouchable. Like, think about this just for a moment. What would life be like as an untouchable person? Think about that for a second, right? What could be worse than that? And what Mark seems to be trying to say, when I look closely at this, I think he's trying to say that her prospects, they're just very, they're very similar to the dying girls, right? She too is without hope. She's another one of these lost causes for St. Jude. The difference is here that she hasn't quite given up hope. So she just thinks she's got to be bold in her approach. She's got to be persistent, daring. Maybe she would even have to break a law or two. That's how bold she was. If she could only touch his clothes, she believed that she could be well. I think it's really fascinating that Jesus recognizes her touch among the crowd. How does he know? Like everyone's touching him, everyone's bumping into him, and yet Jesus insists that he needs to know who it was that touched him. Who it was that had like this, the implication is like who had stolen this miracle from him. Jesus is just as persistent in finding her as she was in touching him. And she wanted a cure, Jesus gave her something even better. He actually wants to know her. And so we know that discipleship in the Gospel of Mark isn't about getting our needs met. It's about knowing Jesus and being known by him. And then one of my favorite parts, like listen to the compassion in Jesus' words. He says, daughter, significant word, daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace. Now, like he could have called her a lot of things. He calls her daughter. If you're her, put yourself in her shoes for a moment. I'll bet she cherished that word daughter for the rest of her life. Because what does it communicate? He calls her daughter to say that not only have you been healed of this physical ailment, but you've been healed from isolation. She's now been healed from loneliness. Jesus has restored her not only to health, but the important thing to think about is she's also, he's also restored her to community. Daughter says that she is a part of the family that she's no longer this untouchable, unlovable. She's, uh, she's different. She's changed. This is, Mark is giving us this image, this picture, this glimpse of salvation, this wholeness picture of salvation. It's not only the forgiveness of sins, right? It's restoration and restoration to human community. This is an important image that Mark is giving us. And so at the same time, this moment when this woman's hope Soars, this man, the other part of our story, Jairus, his hope is crushed. It says, wow, isn't this interesting? While Jesus was still speaking, his precious daughter dies. With that, hope is lost, and the scripture says, so why even bother the teacher anymore? And Jesus hears these words spoken, he just ignores them. He tells Jairus, do not fear, only believe. And it's like, man, I don't know if you're like me. I, I, the question I asked was like, how can this guy believe? <laughs> You know, like, isn't it too late for belief? His daughter has already died. Like, what does Jesus want from him? 
And then Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, like the big three. Any basketball fans? Like every team needs a big three now. These are, these are Jesus' big three, Peter, James, and John. They enter the house where the little girl lay lifeless. And the mourning for this little girl has already begun. Now something that you know, not everybody knows is unlike today, mourners, this is actually like a professional guild in first century Judaism. They hired people to come and mourn the loss of folks. So they hired musicians and they hired wailing women. And they would proceed, no joke, they would process with the body to the place of burial. So this had already begun when Jesus arrives. And so Jesus asked them why all the commotion? The girl's just asleep. And this part, oh man, it gets to me. The lamenting and the grieving just stops. It's probably like one of these moments where the record needle just, for those of us that remember what a record needle is, um, scratches across the surface of the record. The lamenting and the wailing and the grieving stops for just a second. And the lamenting turns to derision. Right? These hardcore realists, they're not stupid. Like, they know death when they see it. They're closed off to divine possibilities. They've already decided that the evidence in front of them was compelling. This little girl wasn't asleep. She's dead. And then at the moment that just makes me like shudder every time I read it, they laughed at Jesus. Those of us that know our Bible, never good to laugh at God. That's like the one thing I read in Scripture, and it just it makes me cringe. And then, you know, you think about what does Jesus want from this guy? What does he expect? And it seems that maybe Jairus, if you're just going to sim- try to simplify this a little bit, he has two choices. He can, he can give in to despair, or he can hold on to faith, or he can hold on to Jesus, who's actually at this point right in front of him. And so Jesus kicks out the wailers, the laughers, the scoffers. He kicks out the disbelievers. He takes the little girl by the hand. He touches her. Significant. Another untouchable. The dead were really, they didn't touch the dead. That's another unclean issue. He touches her. He takes her by the hand. He says to get up. We've got a resurrection image in that language. And she stands up. So what do we make of all this? The interruption is intentional in Mark. It's important to Mark. But what does it say to us? What does it teach us? Well, when I looked at these two main kind of characters, I looked at them and I'm like, man, Jairus and this woman, they seem to have only one thing in common that I can think of. Maybe you can find something else. They're both these cases for St. Jude. They're both these hopeless, lost causes. Everything else about them is different. Here are some of the differences. Jairus has a name while this woman is nameless. He's, well, he was known, uh, maybe even personally, by Jesus. So you think this man in the crowd gets face to face. Jesus must have recognized this guy and know, probably known him by name while the woman is totally, completely anonymous. He's a man in a powerful position. The ruler of a local synagogue, this woman is powerless. Jairus was a community leader. This is my favorite one. He's the leader of the community. She's excluded from all community, right? The irony of Mark is that although Jairus has the status, he has the privilege, he has the power, he has the authority, he has no advantage regarding the only thing that matters, access to Jesus. The one thing that matters, he has nothing over her. And so Mark brilliantly reverses the role, something that the gospel absolutely loves to do. It's the nameless and powerless suffering woman who's the example of faith. 
This is what this interlude story, this interruption is supposed to show us. So maybe the question is, what should our response be? What's the role of the church? I have a couple of thoughts I want to conclude with, things that this made me think. And the first one's really more of a, like a word of caution. I would want to be very, very careful. These two stories both contain a healing, which personally I find to be a thing of beauty. I love it. I'm comforted by the fact that Jesus wants to meet real people's needs, that he is compassionate to hurting, that he restores the broken. But what made me think is, what about those not healed? As advanced as modern medicine is, as powerful as God is, we all know that not all sicknesses are cured, and that holding on to faith is not a guarantee of healing. And so anyone who struggled with this, my mother has MS, I've watched for decades and she is a woman of faith, I can assure you. And she will be listening to this message online. This, her battle with MS has taught me some of this stuff, right? Real life teaches us some of this stuff. And so I think this is just a word of caution, but here's the other side of it is because I trust, personally, I trust the scriptures, I trust in the goodness of the gospel, I also believe that in the midst of crisis, Jesus seems to be saying something to us in this passage. Hold on, hold on is what I'm getting when I look at this. Hold on, not perfectly, but hold on the best we can. Because with him, maybe the important thing is that there's no such thing as a lost cause. There's no such thing as a lost cause. And finally, maybe this is where we discover our part. And this was the question I kind of set up and I asked this earlier. Jesus shows himself to be interruptible. How how interruptible are you? We get busy. We got stuff going on. How interruptible are we for these situations, these people that God may place or somehow put in our lives that we could just so easily overlook, walk right on by, not paying any attention because we're so busy. These people are probably all around us every day. That, and here's the thing that made me think. I, people suffer, people that are suffering often suffer twice. And the, the woman in this story is a good example of this, right? They suffer the physical suffering, but they suffer this emotional suffering as well. This second suffering that involves like isolation, right? Being or feeling alone, feeling untouchable, that there's this disconnect from community, a separation from other people that hurts every bit as much as the physical pain of crisis and suffering. And so what's our response? What's our role? Maybe in part, it's at least to walk with those in crisis so they're not alone. Jesus touches, and there's touch involved in both of these things, to offer touch when people feel untouchable, to welcome outsiders back into full participation in community, to offer friendship and a place to belong. Maybe the church is sent by God for just this kind of healing and restoration, this kind of reconciliation. Jesus' compassionate word, daughter is the thing that reminds me that we are to look for these folks, these lost causes that other people see, these untouchables, the marginalized, those who feel alone, those who are isolated, and welcome them back into the community of friendship, the community of the church, and daughter says, the community of Jesus' family. Jesus has always called and sent the church 
as ambassadors of reconciliation, right, into the world. In a few minutes, like, we're going to walk out those doors. And we join with Jesus in this work of healing a broken and hurting world. Jesus invites us to join him in that mission. So may we be interruptible, and may we not miss out on these opportunities for restoration and for healing. Let's pray. Gracious God, we marvel at the compassion of your son, Jesus. May your word encourage us to hold on, to hold on to faith, God, to hold on to Jesus when we are hurting. And may we be open to life's interruptions where some of your best work gets done. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.